Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain, aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 63. From reading Keltham's mind, Abigail now knows, in admittedly not much detail at all, that greater fire and other scalable weapons are a thing. And there's some sort of stuff called blank blank that Keltham worries he should just never mention to anyone in case prestidigitation can flip ordinary materials into it. Except it is the sort of thing you figure out inevitably given enough knowledge. So if there's any spell below wish that does it, Maybe physics past the blank level is much more info-hazardous in Galarian. Still, Keltham's thoughts are totally confident in the ability of a grown-up and lawful civilization to handle that sort of thing. His civilization didn't blink about putting the entire past under a screen when they encountered some unknown thing that really needed to be screened off. She's obviously not going to talk about this with anyone. Not even Rugaton or Lorilatha or Gorthoklek except in the most abstract terms. She doesn't want all the diamonds in Cheliacs teleported to Lastwall. Is Asmodeus sure that he knows what he's doing? But then Abigail would run a pretty high risk of destroying all of Galarian, let alone just Cheliacs, before she risked not letting her senior partner have his own fun, and so betraying him in the depths of her own heart. So until she gets different orders, she's going to stick with these. Worst case, the world gets destroyed and needs to be rebuilt by the gods. It's not like you can destroy hell that way, she doesn't think. And what would you of us in return, then? Non-binding negotiations. Keltham explained the law of this to his class yesterday, before Zon Kuthon attacked. Sorry, Keltham didn't mean to suggest there was a causal connection to that law in particular being told. Keltham considers the starting point for negotiations, given that law to be pretty straightforward. He does want it clear that this is not his opening offer in a Galarian-style illegible negotiation meant to be bargained down. But if she's read the full-class transcript with that incredibly fancy headband, the Queen will know all about that. Keltham's private thoughts? Exactly the same as what he says aloud. There is no dishonesty in him. No dishonesty at all when it comes to trade. That's not because he's nice but because he knows what fairness is, and will not lightly brook any departure from it, whether by himself or any other. In that sense, if in very few others, this young man could pass as an ordinary cleric of Abadar. I think this may have already been mentioned to you, but Cheliax is not easily set up to measure great gains in productivity, and tax away half of it to you. It's admirably evil, and would probably count in Phirasma's sight too, though it's pretty obvious Keltham doesn't realize that the wealth he takes away would starve some number of orphans that would otherwise have lived had those taxes been less. Maybe even if he knew, he'd shrug and say that it was still fewer total orphans than would have starved if Keltham had never come to Cheliax. It's not Abigail's read on him, though. Thing needs to get done one way or another, but if somebody's got to lose, I see no particular reason it needs to be me, or rather, why I need to lose more than my lawful and fair share. If governance has problems with basic capacities, show those to me, and I might agree in the end that it's not possible to do better in Galarian, and some deal needs to happen anyways. But at that point, with truly huge quantities of wealth at stake, yeah, if it's not the straightforward division of gains under law, I might start throwing around truth spells, the fairness spell, 
and cap it off with a single oath that nobody messed with those spells. I need to cut a deal with somebody, yeah, but somebody also needs to cut a deal with me. You would ordinarily expect that if there was just the one of me, and several possible countries to deal with, that the person in shorter supply of themselves would have the upper hand in negotiations. Chaliax looks to be the best of them, at the moment, but it does need to keep looking like that. What would you do with such vast wealth if it were yours? Invest it, obviously. What else would you do with more wealth than you can sanely spend on personal living expenses? If Mad Investor Chaos didn't suspect that he was going to need to run all over Cheliax and Galarian, frantically investing in 200 different projects to build pieces of civilization, he would be asking a smaller share of the gains. Keltham's thoughts show sincerity. Of course, he's a cleric of Abadar negotiating a trade deal with somebody who hasn't visibly betrayed him yet. And some not especially Galarian comprehensible thoughts about logarithmic utility functions if you're spending money on yourself. Abigail does know what a logarithm is, but the connection in Keltham's thoughts is not clear. If you were willing to take some of your share of the gains in a public investment fund that stayed in Cheliax, it would potentially simplify some political problems for us. And also probably be the sort of thing that's much easier to contractually yoink if Keltham tries to leave. Abrogail does have some thoughts about how Keltham's gains, if he tries to leave, could be made payable to him in the standard backing of value for Chelish currency. The trouble is, that gets caught by that incredibly audacious clause he innocently dared to offer Lurilatha about avoiding terms expected to have unexpected, unpleasant consequences. If Keltham's departure leaves behind most of his gains in the form of a Cheliac's only investment fund, if they can get away with including that clear and understood term, it might save Cheliac's quite a lot of loss. I suppose I'm open to so encumbering some of the gains with spending restrictions, if that's really helpful for some reason. But in general, I expect the next stage is making lots of investments outside Cheliac's. And also, I currently trust my ability to pick investments more than... No, that's not quite right. Chelish governance can already be expected to run around making the investments in Cheliac's obvious to Chelish governance. I am concerned about reserving the power to run around patching the holes and fixing what's left, and I do want that power as unencumbered as possible. Hmm, Abigail says softly. She tosses some more breadcrumbs to the fish. I think you will be sadly surprised in some of the ways you have been sadly surprised before at what strange things are more or less politically feasible in Galarian. It is full of encumbrances, both on money and on other things. What you think is reasonable, what is in fact reasonable under law, may not be something that even the Queen of Cheliax could give if she tried her hardest. I say this not to pressure you in negotiations. It is just a world you do not seem to quite yet understand. Understood. The problem being, it would be good to cut a deal soon and get started on some things, and to wait for me to understand more things comes with that as a delay. You could try showing me what you thought was a totally sane and reasonable deal for somebody who actually understood Galarian and see how loudly I screamed. Maybe I wouldn't scream very loudly at all, and then we'd have a deal. Heh, <laughs> what a friendly cleric of Abadar this is. Perhaps we shall try that then. It can always be said not to have come from Loreletha, and if Keltham tries to add a no-gotchas clause, he can be told that this does require Loreletha to rewrite the whole thing. I think we should perhaps move on to our other, how did you put it, agenda item. 
I have been getting to know you some by these interactions. They weren't wasted even from the thirstiest, most money-uncaring standpoint. He really has no concept that corresponds to what a queen is. I am given to understand that Isidra has... meddled, I think, would be the term I'd use here. Contrary to what some of my advisors seem to think, I never had any intention of taking Carissa Savar away from you. It would have been really quite incredibly stupid. Keltham is somewhat reassured. Somewhat. I am a little worried that you would have ended up doing it quite by accident, for the same reason that Pilar went to Elysium and Ione foretells Nidal attacks. Well, the same reason, according to one particular try by me, at interpreting and predicting events, which could very easily be absolutely and entirely wrong, but has been making a couple of successful predictions lately. The same prediction would say that we would somehow end up fighting over Carissa, no matter how much that made absolutely no sense in the middle of a war. It is rather a weird and complicated reason to try to explain. Yes, tropes. Isidre told me little of them and less sense than that. I think I do not want any tropes anywhere near Cheliax. That is most of what I desire for myself in this. No tropes. Tropes be gone. Not for the good of Cheliax even. So much as that I don't want to live my life like that. All right. Maybe Isidre didn't oversell how totally sensible of a person you were. Keltham says out loud, like this is a completely normal and sane thing to say to the Queen of Cheliax. Abrogail, of course, is only gently amused. She knows the outsider is ignorant. Let us all pray to Asmodeus that it is so and continues to be so. I can't guarantee that anything we can do here can keep the tropes out of Cheliax, assuming they exist, like, literally at all. Taking steps to diffuse every hint of future possible conflict, complication, and open questions about Carissa Sivar between us may heavily act to minimize whether any tropes are going to start hanging around you personally, and not just Pilar or Ione or Carissa or myself. Assuming again that tropes are even a thing. I hadn't previously thought us especially likely to get into a conflict over Carissa Sever in the first place. But yes, if there's a threat to myself here, I am interested in minimizing it. Abigail is not that good and is allowed to say such things. It's possible I shouldn't poke at this, but you don't think the simplest solution is just to find somebody else? I think you overestimate how often I find someone I am actually interested in at all, Abigail says softly. A butterfly lands on her hand where it rests on her chair's arm, and she lowers her head and gently blows to shoo it away. Maybe Carissa Sevar would be as common as iron in Dath Elon. Here she is gold. You picked her up too easily to appreciate what you now hold in your hands, I think. I'd still walk entirely away from Carissa Sevar if that was the cost of a trope-free life. I am just worried that... Walking away is not the correct way to prove that a trope can have no existence. A compact between us ensuring that I cannot possibly end up with Savar under any circumstances. And my then having my fun with her and putting it behind me seems possibly wiser. Possibly. You would probably know better than I. That question has occurred to me as well, several times. I hope I don't end up regretting it a lot when I say that I really have absolutely no clue which of those two courses of action is the better one, and we might as well take the one that's more fun, if we are otherwise determined to both be as extremely sensible as we can about it all. Abigail laughs. 
Somewhat to her surprise, it's her real self's laugh as well. Yes, that is the reason behind the decision, isn't it? Abigail can offer no better logic of her own. Then, shall we set our terms over Carissa Savar? I'm not quite sure about any of this, but I think we're supposed to do that in front of Carissa. Possibly even if we're not fighting it out. It may not be a matter of winning if we're not fighting, but it's the process that decides who controls her. And that open question in her mind should be resolved to close out the reaction-binding site, target shape that a trope might hook itself into, at least if Carissa can act as a viewpoint character thing that a trope thinks has questions. Also, that would be more romantic, according to intuitions I now apparently have. Also, also, I need Isidra to write some of the terms, and then not look at them myself. Also, 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 there is a chance that something goes weirdly wrong during the negotiation, and then while they are all probably doomed, they may still be less doomed if Isidri and Lorelatha are right there. Also, 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 if Carissa suddenly realizes she's terribly wrong about what she finds hot, she should maybe be like, someplace she can say that before it's too late. But this cannot and need not be thought, because it exceeds the maximum also stack depth. Plus, it's too obvious. Any sane person would, at this point, suggest that the real bargaining happened between themselves, and that they just play it out again for Carissa once the outcome has been predetermined, and they know their parts in the play. But that, Abigail suspects, or Abigail for that matter, is far too terribly dishonest for a Dathilani. Good luck, Sever, thinks Abigail. But then Sever's had enough unexpected luck already that Asmodeus's hand there is clear. Hmm. That does present a... Let us not say complication. Doing this in front of Carissa, instead of simply presenting her with a sealed agreement between us, presents us with a matter of something that you gain and something that I lose. What you gain is her affection. What I lose is something that I worry a death Ilani may not understand. It has to do with Asmodeus's domain of pride, which, being something that belongs to a god, is not intrinsically defined in mortal terms. But in mortal terms, maybe I could say that I have a reputation for winning, and that you want me to do something that could be seen as losing. Not in private between ourselves, but where others, like Carissa, or for that matter Isidra, can see it. I suspect translation difficulties around the word. Is it like, the pleasure that you get from being a better player of your favorite game than most people around you, visibly and in a way you can prove to them? If pity was something that Abigail Thrun went about feeling, she knows she would be feeling it now. Abigail feels it, therefore. That is something like what I might expect to remain in a society that had gone much, much, much too far in the direction of good, after they'd taken something deep and real in human nature and flattened it down into a small, sad remnant they deemed acceptable. Right, well... Is it something like killing all the players of the game who are better than you so that you can be the best one left alive? Keltham supposes this is a thing you can trade a sufficiently large heap of dead bodies for, exact size of heap depending on initial talent and practice. Though to Keltham himself, it seems like this is completely missing the point of what doth Elan, and yes, he thinks, is the meaning of pride in playing a game well and visibly better than others. It proves you're adequate at the murder game, but the other game players weren't even trying to compete with you in that. That is what I would expect an overly good society to tell its children was what happened if they let themselves feel any real pride. 
and they wouldn't be wrong, per se. But still, there's more to it than that. It is sometimes hard to explain things like this to me. Though I want to understand them all eventually, and your time is valuable, I don't know if we want to go down that conversational... Subtree. They have no word for subtree. How the ass do you convey subtree in Taldane? Thing you can go down. What are the consequences? We do this in a manner that looks less like you winning and my losing. That looks less like things are taken from me and you are taking them by being greater and mightier in your own person than the Queen of Cheliax. To the extent we cannot do that, or you do not wish to, you offer me something I value in return. I am more open than many rulers would be to the latter course, because most of the real pride trampling has already occurred at this point, and she may as well get paid for it. Not that Keltham has very much he can trade that could possibly be worth as much as Abrogail Thrun has already lost of her pride to this stripling. If he ever stops being valuable to Cheliax and Asmodeus withdraws his protection, she has more than a curious interest now in seeing what happens to Dathelani as they are slowly broken. If Carissa was something that had a normal price, I would offer you 10% discount on her. But I don't know if that still works for sex things that aren't really about the money. Where does she start? It doesn't work for sex things, no. And your suggestion sounded incredibly strange for Galarian. You should at some point tell Seaver about what you said there and have her explain things to you. So Abrogale can read the transcripts of Carissa's thoughts when she hears. Among other things, did I not know you for something that is from further beyond our world than ordinary outsiders? It would be something you should not say, to suggest that any part of the Queen's pride is worth only that much money. Carissa herself, being rented, is worth something to you. If this were a real price in money, that amount would be either set to balance supply and demand, or else her real value to you would be somewhere around twice what you were paying me, assuming that renting her cost me nothing significant. If you lose something in pride that is nonetheless less important to you than what you gain by having Carissa, it decreases your total gains from the trade. Which doesn't matter if it's a supply and demand balance, I'd just sell to somebody else. But if it's a non-market fair division problem, then losing something in the course of gaining Carissa's rental decreases the fair price to you of her rental, hence the discount. The law is straightforward if it's actually about the money. I don't know what we're supposed to do if it's a sex thing. Do you have a suggestion in mind? In truth, I am not clear on what I could ask from you at this point, which would be appropriate. Most of the things that are wanted from you are things that Cheliax wants, not that I want and it is I and not Cheliax who loses here. You could agree that you owed me a future favor appropriate to the real cost to me of my lost pride in this matter. It requires some trust from me to you that you will repay, but no more trust than you are already being given in some ways. Say the key words as if they mean nothing. Make sure to add some more distracting words later. Hope he is that naive and does not know to be wary of Asmodeans bearing bargains. Lady. I mean, you sort of are the person who gets to rent Carissa in the first place here, and the sexy price that was suggested to me by Isidra did not strike me as being in the range of what that is actually worth to you, the value you gain from it, given that it's worth this much of your time at all, and given what I expect your finances are like. I am doing this because it will, supposedly, I hope, be good for Carissa, 
because I think it will impress my girlfriend, and because I want fewer tropes messing with me. And since that's an adequate reason for me to do it, and this is all a sex thing in the first place, and we are all hopefully friends here, and also probably really because I am still thinking of this as somebody else having sex with Carissa. Only it has to be done in a way that makes my brain shut up about it. For all of those reasons, I haven't asked you for anything, like what the Queen of Cheliacs can afford to pay for anything that's worth her time at all, or asked you to explicitly owe me a favor afterwards. Uh, I hope we're not starting to have a real conflict here, where we're contesting negotiating abilities or something. If we're starting to have a real conflict that calls into question who gets to have Carissa, or whether this agreement takes place at all, then it should happen in front of Carissa for trope reasons. And Lurilatha and Isidre should be there. Fay one addresses the Queen of Cheliacs as Your Majesty, not Lady, to be clear. Even Abigail says this, albeit she does not say it as sharply as Abigail Thrun would wave someone off to torture execution. It would figure that, in Abadar's world, they are not as naive about bargaining as about some things. But he still, Abigail hopes, does not realize the game he is really playing, or how deadly it can be to him in an Asmodean country. I hadn't hoped that would be an irreconcilable point of conflict, no, says Abigail. She shrugs. Your point is a very fair one, and I should have seen it myself. My apologies for that. I suppose it could be something like, I agree to owe you a favor proportional to how much I really gain from sex with Sevar, and you owe me a favor proportional to the real cost to me and lost pride of how you got to look impressive in front of Sevar while negotiating that. It's considered ill practice where I come from to take on debts with no legible caps on their objective magnitude, unless you're creating a child, in which case you don't have a choice, and somebody's got to do that sometimes. I suppose that since the real cost and real value are being assessed by reference to your own values, you could feel safe with that. Though for edge case coverage reasons, I'd want the explicit understanding that the favor you owe me is greater than the favor I owe you, say by a factor of at least two, that they are positive in sign, and that the two can potentially be partially cancelled against each other. Is she not going to win this one? It seems so. Did she doom herself to tropehood by that not happening in front of Sivar? She doesn't think so. That was a duel between herself and Keltum, and not one that was really over possession of Carissa at all. Well, perhaps Sevar's thought was correct. Perhaps everyone but her underestimates Keltham. He is doing better than she expected, even now. But at least to Abigail, it seems like Keltham does flirt very close to the edges of losing his games and damning himself in one sense or another. He just needs to be encouraged to go on playing them. The queen sighs. I suppose we could have it be the kind of favors owed that are understood not to be enforceable even in the eyes of Asmodeus. I am a little friendlier to you for borrowing Savar. You are a little friendlier to me for making you look good in front of her. Maybe what I really want is the acknowledgement that my pride has any value at all in this. Especially since, as an outsider from a world lost completely to good, you may not see or realize or understand the evil thing that you are trampling on, and perhaps also trample on it excessively. That is very much something I would prefer not to do. I acknowledge explicitly, your pride is valuable. Even the shadow Doth Elon still has would be valuable, if maybe less so. Let no value be destroyed that need not be destroyed. 
He'd add that civilization is not that lost to good, like seriously, lady, your majesty. But who knows? Maybe from her perspective, it is that lost, just like Galarian, from his perspective, lacks almost any trace of law. Is there anything helpful that can be told to the outsider to prevent his unintended rampage of value destruction? It is far, far, far too late, unfortunately. Abrogale will nonetheless try to explain the concept of how to treat royalty deferentially, and that the meeting she's currently having is in fact one where if she was having it with a chelish citizen, it would be incognito, meaning that she is pretending not to be the queen, still Abrogale Thrun, but not the queen, meaning that Keltham is allowed to sit in her presence instead of stand, and she does not need a much fancier chair to protect the dignity of Cheliax. They do it in Taldor. Is she trolling him? She isn't. She shouldn't even try to explain all of this on the Queen's expensive time. After this, Keltham can get an emergency one-hour lesson in how to interact with a non-incognito Queen without that being an incident, if it happens in front of her advisors. He can think of things he might need to say and memorize how to say them in the more formal interaction. And hopefully enough of that will let him improvise around the edges if necessary. Even then, if he suddenly hears Isidra's voice magically whispering in his ear, he needs to immediately pause whatever he's doing and listen and not argue. This will give Carissa Savar slightly more time to recover, since, it has by now been reported to Abrogale, the cute little idiot went and submitted herself to her any time in three days torture session right away, without making sure it happened sometime when she'd have an hour or two to herself to recover afterward. Was Sever that stupid? that overconfident of her recovery ability? Or had she just never previously gotten herself an important project screw-up, mentally insubordinate to the queen levels of trouble? Probably all three. It is infuriating that the child has gotten herself into a vital position where she needs to be accommodated for incompetence like that, rather than it being turned into a more object lesson. But they're planning to try out Elri Lotha running suggestion on Keltham, and while that is expected to go well, Sever needs to be in better form to exploit whatever change Keltham has then in his thoughts. Keltham is disturbed by the implication that the Queen has any advisors who don't understand the reason why a sane person would just ignore all this hugely time-costly crap. It's a not as lawful as doth Ilan thing you wouldn't understand. Does the Queen think this whole shenanigan is generating enough value that it's worth spending an hour of Keltham's valuable time on trying to load and shortly afterwards forget all this shit? Or is this knowledge in some other way reusable and persistently valuable? To be honest, Abrogale does suspect that learning some completely pointless Galarian shit will be an important life experience for Keltham. If that sentence needed to be prefaced with to be honest... Does that mean all the previous sentences not so prefaced were possibly not honest? It's an expression meaning to reveal one's thoughts rather than concealing them, or to reveal the whole thought rather than concealing some of it you might otherwise be tempted to conceal. This was the meaning Abrogale had in mind. Or yes, in Golarion, to tell the truth where one might otherwise lie. In many of the common scenarios where, of course, the other person would expect you to lie, but maybe not if you said to be honest in a serious-sounding voice first. That really doesn't make any... You need to talk about this with Savar, Keltham, not me. Yes, yeah, sorry. Is Keltham ready for his etiquette lesson? Abigail Thrun is enjoying how much his thoughts are dreading this. It's not much at all, but at least she gets to torture him a little. Are they done here? 
Keltham asks himself. He didn't get a chance to talk about, well, what's actually going to happen to Carissa. Which Keltham apparently needs to treat as an info hazard for probably like at least a month or something. Unfortunately, Keltham came into this conversation with a clear goal, namely, get his brain into a position to decide whether it was comfortable renting Carissa to the Queen, but with no real idea of how to accomplish that goal. Internal interrogation suggests that on the one hand, their overt interactions have not been very sexy, doesn't really create any relationship where Keltham rents Carissa to her. Oh. In retrospect, maybe that's what the complicated flirting was about. It was just that Keltham was much more worried when that happened, about the queen possibly trying to open her arrow larp route at him, so he shut it down. He was probably not supposed to do that. Still, that the queen flirted, hopefully just pseudo-flirted, at him, at all, is an acknowledgement of Keltham as a sexual-romantic relationship-having thing, and that is, possibly enough for whatever weird thing is inside him, Keltham does not understand the rules at all. Well, it's enough provided that the queen is in fact incredibly hot, which she is. But maybe add safety margin. Why do something your brain just barely approves of, when you could do not that? I think the Dath Elani thing to do in this situation, if it could manage to come up in Dath Elan, is that we both tell each other a mildly embarrassing, naughty story from our early sexual experiences, in a way meant to acknowledge that the other person's story is sexy and funny, and then we have a relationship that is not just about project management or trope avoidance, and my brain is more confident that I can rent Carissa to you. Yes, fine. Abigail Thrun just wants to be done with this and send Keltham off to his torture session. Even Abigail wants to be done with this, though she's not showing it, of course. Abigail tells a somewhat funny, mildly sexy story that could plausibly have happened to a teenage royal in Taldor before she took over the country. Keltham will not ask a number of large, looming questions. Keltham will tell her about that time when he and his carefully spoiler-protected fellows were just figuring things out, and Keltham got to be the one who figured out that, if a certain girl wasn't sure she'd ever had an orgasm, that almost certainly meant she'd never had one. She then grimly resolved to keep up with her age cohort and get it done within the next hour, not even as a trading pleasures thing, just get it done, and Keltham got very determined about helping her with this clearly established goal and those mental postures, as they would realize at a future point in their lives, were not the most helpful possible mental postures they could have taken. Doth Ilan definitely is a place. The Queen's chuckles and smiles will read to almost anyone in Golarion as genuine, if they're stupid enough to trust whatever reading skills they're opposing to the Queen of Cheliacs. Did that help? Keltham isn't sure. The Queen seems too old, too very serious. If he shuts his eyes, his brain doesn't really understand what she would do with Carissa. If he opens his eyes again and thinks about how the queen is incredibly hot, frankly, that seems to be doing practically all the work here, combined with the earlier flirting. But he tried the obvious thing, and their time is not infinite. His brain is hesitant about the rental, but not saying no. And it's time to proceed with the plan. Okay, you know what? He's just going to do this. It can't be that bad. 
It's just an hour of hearing about absolutely insane nonsense whose very existence is somehow opposed to his own fundamental nature in every way, but without that being legible enough to explicitly fight back against. And if he can do that for a minute, he can do it for an hour. Keltham departs for etiquette lessons. That was strangely satisfying, in the way of finally having somebody fall into your power whom it had previously been unreasonably difficult to torture. Is it trivial? Absolutely. But he doesn't know that. He has absolutely no clue, and somehow that makes it work. Maybe she can find future excuses why Keltham definitely needs even more etiquette lessons. He'd need them in Taldor. Maybe she can figure out what Keltham most hates about etiquette and design improved etiquette. She does, in fact, have a country to run, and needs to get back to running it literally now. Carissa does, before she closes her eyes while lying in Keltham's bed, contemplate whether it'd be a disaster if she falls asleep. A normal person would, in fact, either be annoyed or feel inclined to pretend to be if they came back to their fancy, fancy room to find their girlfriend slave asleep in their bed, but Keltham is an alien and won't even realize he's supposed to mind. Her next thought is about an hour later, and it's that she would have expected Keltham to be back by now. She sits up. There's a piece of chocolate cake on a plate next to her. It looks a lot like the piece of cake that Pilar tried to give her yesterday morning. No sign of Pilar herself. Has chaotic good considered doing things that aren't stupid? There are starving children in other countries, she tells the empty room. She eats the cake. It's pretty good. A message from security. Keltham got put in a delay loop while you recovered from your stupid fucking incompetence in taking an optional time torture session at a point where you still had work to do later. Can the Queen of Cheliax and a number of other important people now be notified that you'll be ready to be surprised to see them shortly? Unlike taking it at some other time when she wouldn't still have work to do later. Not at work sure does describe, uh about ten minutes of her last three days. They engineered a lie they don't have an infinite reserve of to excuse her absence and would have needed to engineer another. It's the wrong thought, and she tucks it away quickly. The primary point of the punishment was that her superiors are better than her, have more experience operating under these conditions, and are absolutely competent to handle them, and that she is wrong when she thinks she's right and they're mistaken. If they think she should have manufactured another excuse some other time, then they're right, even if she doesn't see why. Anyway, yes, they can so be notified and could have been notified an hour ago. Carissa is fine. Security is personally of the opinion that sometime in the next three days, Sevar would have managed to find a time when the Queen of Cheliax wasn't waiting on her. Or, you know, maybe just Abigail Thrun II, and not also the second, third, and fourth most powerful people in Cheliax too. He doesn't send this to Sevar, but he does voice it aloud as commentary to the security next to him. The security next to him says he's not actually sure that's true. He's heard rumors about what life on Project Lawful is like. Supposedly Malyol, the project manager, committed suicide and had to be tortured severely in hell in order to get him to consent to being raised and put back to work on it again. What did Keltham tell Carissa to do? What should the naive Carissa understand to be going on right now? Sever has been told to meet with Paracountess Isidra, according to the story Keltham has received. Keltham wanted to know why this wasn't lying. He did seem fine going along with a technical truth after it was explained that Sever would, in fact, meet Isidra, 
and then the queen shortly after. Sever, having been told to dress for properly meeting with a paracountess, should show up wearing one of her nicer outfits, but that should suffice. All right. She'll dress up nicely enough to meet a paracountess of House Thrun, which isn't even that differently from how she'd dress to meet the queen since she doesn't actually have a further reservoir of even nicer clothes, and do her hair accordingly, and then be escorted wherever this is happening. She feels a lot better, even though she can't really understand why important people would have delayed their schedules to let her have a nap she did not need. Well, they're smarter than her. It's over? Is it over? That was way longer than an hour. Keltham stopped checking his pocket watch after it became clear that it was obviously broken or tampered with. But it wouldn't have been helpful anyways because it doesn't have a date function. He should not have set himself up to do anything this awful and then need to do anything else immediately after that, except that he needs to do this as quickly as possible before he forgets anything and needs an etiquette lesson again. Carissa's price is now 20% higher. Me. When he gets out, a palace security is holding a piece of chocolate cake they've been instructed to give him. Pilar is not having a great day here. Well, actually, it's been literally the best day ever, but not this particular hour, and needs to keep grinding down the tiny bit of herself that wants to be in any way cheerful about having been assigned the servant labor of going around giving useless fucking pieces of cake to people. It is delicious cake, and Keltham will eat it. He has, by his ass, earned it. He does feel better afterwards. Though really, he could also use a nap. But even if he is important enough to keep the queen and her advisors waiting, he would prefer not to do that and spend the informal political capital he's earning. Onward to his important meeting, in which he will demand to chelish governance that they be prepared to deliver Sevar to him restrained and to be his owned object if she ever falls in love with the queen of Cheliacs. Was Azidri lying about the entire Carissa sex thing in order to make him look like a lunatic and sabotage him in front of the queen and her advisors? No, that would make no sense, because he asked Carissa, and Carissa said it was hot, so this should be something they recognize as a totally normal way of thinking, and if not, he will truth-spell himself and then recount exactly what Isidre told him to the queen's big fancy meeting-room audience chamber. It is time to unreasonably impress his girlfriend. Great balls of flaming poop, that is one gaudy-ass doom-punk supervillain giant fancy meeting room. He doesn't say it out loud. It wouldn't be etiquette. Also in the room is Isidre, the giant alien from the Nadal attack, Contessa Lurilatha in the armor that she apparently just wears, a kindly-looking old lady in a doom-punk dress, and the queen of Cheliacs, on a truly massive chair, that still looks completely ergonomically wrong despite obviously being the most expensive possible model of whatever brand of chair it is. Keltham properly kneels and bends his head to the queen. Everyone in this room except the actress playing Isidra can hear him thinking the Dath Alani equivalent of, are we there yet? This isn't literally the best day of Aspexia Rugaton's life, but it sure is up there. To her infernal magistrix, Abigail Thrun II, the Queen of Cheliacs, and blah 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 I present Keltham, lawful evil outsider of the lawful good realm of Doth Elan, fourth circle cleric of a lawful neutral deity, also enemy of Zonkuthan. Now fallen, an enlightener of Cheliacs, says the actress playing Isidre. Rise, Keltham of Dathilan, and approach the throne. 
Yeah, he can do that part anyways. Hi, Keltum. Blah, 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 says the Queen of Chiliacs. Is she deliberately dragging this out? Why? Oh, probably Carissa is a minute late or something. Actually, Carissa's already here and waiting just outside. But since Keltham has done her the helpful service of thinking of such an incredibly plausible excuse, Abigail will look apologetic and then keep talking. Blah, 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 Oh no, he just got out of the last one. Oh good, Isidria is leaving now, presumably to meet Carissa and get her back. Hopefully that doesn't take too long. Actually, is Carissa going to recognize the giant-ass gaudy doom-punk supervillain doors to the giant-ass gaudy doom-punk supervillain meeting room? Hopefully not. They don't exactly have cameras here, so not everybody should know what the Queen's meeting room looks like. He does want to see the look on Carissa's face. Isidra returns a moment later with Carissa at her side, announces her, which absolutely no one in the room is paying any attention to. Even naive Carissa, who would be experiencing the shock of her life right now, wouldn't be so childish as to let it show on her face. But Keltham is taking these baby steps into deeper evil for her, for the delight of seeing how she reacts, and she wants to reward him for that. She wants having power over people to be something that he finds endlessly thrilling, and it's not like it embeds everything else in a lie. She can tell him afterwards that she would usually have tried to conceal her shock, but didn't for him. So, and then once Keltham has been adequately rewarded, she can get her facial expression properly under control and kneel and peek up at him with wide, incredulous eyes. She doesn't have Abigail's splendor, obviously, but she did give herself a little boost before she came in, and she thinks she's a very convincing provincial Taldane wizard girl at court for the first time. Gorthoklek is relaying Keltham's thoughts to Sever in real time. Keltham is thinking that, all right, the look on Carissa's face makes even that horrible-ass etiquette lesson completely worth it. He's still charging the queen an extra 20% for it, though. Is that the delay loop they put Keltham in while she napped? A slightly larger share of the bemused delight on Carissa's face is genuine. Poor Keltham. Okay, now they can actually do this shit, right? Yes, according to the personal opinion of Aspexia Ruggeton, which she is making known to Abigail by appropriate means. Fine. Yes, she may as well get it over with and finish this humiliation. Keltham has heard that the Queen of Cheliax desires a thing that it is his to give or withhold. That is not what the etiquette teacher should have. Aspexia. This can only be Aspexia's work. The Queen of Cheliax desires some part of the time of her subject, Carissa Savar, in which to dally with her. But this matter, the Queen is given to understand, Carissa Savar has placed into the hands of Keltham, along with all else that she is. It moves him, actually. And it moves him at least in part because all of this formality is speaking to some part of him, in a voice that should ordinarily be reserved for wedding ceremonies and not governance. Quick glance to see how Carissa is reacting to that. So incredibly expressively. 
Keltham pulling this off would, to naive Carissa, seem like a fairly godlike feat of coincidence management, and he deserves to feel that he has utterly transformed Carissa's sense of what he's capable of. And also that this is really sexy of him, and also that her wildest fantasies are coming true, which, honestly, they kind of are. Aside from how badly this is going to hurt, once she's in fact alone with Abigail. Fuck! When did she get mentally into the habit of calling her imperial magistrix Abrogale? Even taking into account that you know you have no idea, still, Carissa, you have no idea. Blah, 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 600 gold pieces, blah, 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 various additional terms and conditions apply, and the Queen of Cheliacs can take them or leave them, Keltham says, almost in the correct etiquette that an incredibly powerful outsider should, in principle, used to say such a thing politely to the Queen of Cheliacs when handing her an ultimatum. His thoughts are clear on the point that this is what the etiquette teacher told him to do, and he is obediently doing it. It seems possible that Abigail has, in fact, pissed off Aspexia Rugaton slightly more than she previously realized over the last few days. Speak then your terms, Keltham. Blah, blah, blah. X50 equal sign equal sign. Well, basically, the limits on what can be done to Carissa are going to be in a sealed section laid down on Keltham's behalf by Paracountess Isidra Thrun. No, sorry, he can't remember all those middle names. Who does that to their kid? Hopefully this isn't too awful an error. And also, Keltham's worried about Carissa's heart being stolen away from him, not least by her possible delusion that Carissa's own person could possibly be taken away from him, even by the Queen of Cheliax if Keltham himself had decided to get serious about keeping her. So he now, as indeed the greater part of his compensation for this rental, demands that before he hands over Carissa, the queen sign such agreements as will duly incentivize her to attempt no such thing and ensure a correct outcome for her if she does. If by untampered truth spell it is proven that Carissa has come to love the queen, and to love her more than she loves Keltham, then Keltham has the right to walk out on all this shit, notwithstanding other bargains to be signed later, and haul Carissa's chained-up ass away with him, if he chooses. Carissa does not even have to pretend that's really hot, because it just objectively is. She does have to pretend at being surprised, of course, but she lets the surprise melt off as soon as is reasonable into just that, that's really hot. And... She doesn't think Keltham has the subtlety to read this off her face, but, but that she wants to know very badly if he means it, and she wants him to mean it. She wants to be in the power of someone capable of meaning it. Gorthaclec informs her that Keltham is continuing to struggle hard with reading the facial expressions of anyone who isn't a Doth Ilani, and he's managed to pick up that Carissa is currently happy, but not that she was trying to ask him a question or that this question had a particular desired answer. The first part of Keltham's request, she's not dignifying it by calling it a demand, is entirely acceptable. The second part is a matter for Cheliacs, not the Queen's dalliances. Carissa Sivar is a citizen of this country, and while she might be bargained away in some extremity, she would not be bargained away lightly. Keltham's doing Cheliacs a favor much larger than that. And is this then to be taken as partial repayment of that favor? It's to be taken as an unlikely conditional that the queen needs to set up, using her own political capital, in order to fuck Dally with Carissa. 
when and if Keltham feels like formalizing his and Carissa Savar's relationship in the eyes of Cheliax, maybe he'll negotiate with Cheliax for Cheliax's part in that. But this current thing is not an unconditional outcome requiring an unconditional payment. It's about making it so that the queen wouldn't be able to yoink her. Keltham is starting to stumble over his etiquette, but is still gainfully trying. Though these requests be somewhat onerous, the queen will accede to them, not least in the light of that favor which Keltham is indeed doing for Cheliax. For some reason, the etiquette teacher made Keltham memorize this part very carefully. Keltham does not really understand why he needs to negotiate with governance like this, but okay. Blah blah, the queen's the one who insisted on dallying with Carissa Sever in the first place, knowing another had laid his claim to her, and such suffering as that may incur to her infernal majestrix is hers to own, blah blah. You've made your point, Aspexia. Has she? Aspexia Rugaton is still trying to decide. So be it, then. Abrogail Thrun does not wish Keltham of Doth Ilan, outsider and enlightener of Cheliax, to feel at all concerned that his Carissa Savar would so be taken from him. And indeed, if they cost not Cheliax, she is more than willing to add on other terms meant to ensure that Keltham need never fear any sort of conflict between him and the Queen over Carissa's affection. At all. Ever. Blah blah sounds like a great idea. Is Contessa Lurilatha willing to do the honors of writing up this compact? Blah blah. Lurilatha is exceedingly willing to do her part to write stringent compact terms to ensure that Chiliax's enlightener, upon his project blessed by Asmodeus himself, shall not have his delicate affairs further and needlessly complicated by the Queen. Everyone in the room, including Carissa, on relay from Gorthoclec, gets a ringside seat to Keltham's wince and mental wish that Lurilatha would chill. They're trying to preserve the queen's pride here. Well, everyone in the room except the actress playing Isidri, a first-circle cleric of Asmodeus who has long since realized that the reason why somebody as relatively inexperienced as her was called in to serve as an impersonator at this royal gathering is not that everyone else is fighting at the Nidal front, but that they're going to kill her when this is over. She's doing a great job of not showing any visible distress, which would, of course, result in her being almost instantly dominated, and then dying much more painfully. Statue, actually. But obviously not one of the ones that gets warded against detection, just one that gets tossed into her personal collection to stick around until after she dies. Abigail does not want this gossip spreading in hell while she's alive. Carissa is not what you would call savvy in the nuances of the royal court, but it has not escaped her that Keltham has managed to orchestrate an occasion for all of the Queen's advisors to publicly mock her over her handling of the Carissa situation. This is definitely bad for Carissa, the only person who any involved party can permissibly torture, which makes it hard to take any real enjoyment from, but she can abstractly appreciate the skill. She is determinedly not thinking ahead to what Abigail, her imperial magistrix, is going to do to her, that seems like the same kind of mistake as thinking about what hell will be like. She'll endure it when it comes, and she won't get anything out of additionally enduring it in advance. Contracts written up quickly enough. Yes, Keltum, you have Contessa Lorelatha's word that it says what was discussed and contains no terms meant to be unexpected, unpleasant surprises for Keltum. Keltum reads it carefully anyways, of course. The Queen reads it much more carefully. Very standard language. It wouldn't do to include anything hard for Abigail to check, that she'd have to stop to consider, 
and give away that such compacts are dangerous in front of Keltham. What the very standard language says is, fuck you, stop messing with Asmodeus's pet outsider unless the church says you can. She can't even send him to fake etiquette lessons. That said, the legal language in which that fuck you is written is very standard, for hell. But that's pretty much what Abigail wants, at this point. And you know what? The etiquette thing would maybe not have actually been a good idea. Maybe Dathilan also has an idea that there is more than one kind of flirting. She signs it. There. No more fucking tropes. Keltham signs it, feeling weirdly like he's signing a wedding contract, even though this one does not technically commit him to doing anything at all, except for letting Carissa Sevar fuck somebody else. That basically did happen without a single trope getting invoked at any point, as near as Keltham can figure it. He's relieved, honestly. There aren't even any signs of subversion or deconstruction. The whole thing happened with basically no complications, or plot conflicts, or unanswered questions, or open plot arcs left at the end, unless you count the actual Carissa Abigail interaction, which the viewpoint character doesn't get to see anyways. Time to claim his reward. Well, soon he'll claim his reward. There's something else to arrange first. Contessa Lirilatha, I request that you give myself and my Carissa a moment, and then so long as we're here, if it's a good time, I would like to arrange a very careful and Asmodeus okay demonstration of the fact that Cheliax could in truth have mind-controlled me had Cheliax been that sort of place. Gorthoclek thinks faster than nearly any mortal could, and decides that it is worth not wantonly destroying a certain bit of value. He can claim it as a very minor favor from Sivar later. Keltham's thoughts about his upcoming surprise will not be relayed to Sivar. With the leave of Her Majesty, says Contessa Lirilatha, you and your possession could depart to the adjacent antechamber, where it will be possible for me to join you shortly for a demonstration. He doesn't own her yet, but Keltham isn't going to object. Maybe they do think that he basically owns her once she's given herself, like, presumably, they would not have gone along with the whole thing otherwise. Blah blah, oh you'd better fucking believe that he has leave to get out of her sight, blah blah. Keltham heads over to Carissa. One more adoring, incredulous glance at him, and then she'll stand and curtsy and depart a step behind him. Keltham leads her to the indicated antechamber, and then kisses her hard enough to make a non-wizard's lip bleed. She hopes he feels incredibly rewarded. She hopes that this leaves him itching to do something like this to Carissa again, and noticing maybe that power is nice and he likes wielding it. Also, wow, kissing someone who has just arranged your rental to the Queen of Cheliax? Really, really good. Even if you don't have feelings for him because you outgrew that. It's more that, from Carissa's perspective, which is the only perspective that matters, Keltham has just pulled off a difficult-seeming impressive trick that science maniac Verez himself would gaze upon with grudging approval. Any feminine gender trope that would not swoon at this scarcely deserves to be called a subtype of woman. But yes, he is definitely feeling very rewarded right now. If they were in a cuddle room, he'd be taking off her clothes already, but he is not, in fact, in a cuddle room. He has two more things to arrange before they can go there, the second one depending on the outcome of the first. Carissa will just keep rewarding her Keltham until Contessa Lorelatha shows up. Mm. 
If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059 